We're looking forward to diving into the Word of God together. Let me invite you to take your Bible and make your way to the book of Ephesians chapter number 5. Ephesians chapter number 5, we've been uh, coming expositionally through this book verse by verse from chapter 1 and we'll go all the way to uh, chapter 6, all the way to the end, but we find ourselves in Ephesians chapter 5 and today's text is going to be verse 7 down through verse number 14. Chapter 5, verse 7 down through verse 14 title of the message is Walking in the Light, Walking in the Light, and this is going to be in direct uh, contrast to what we looked at last week when Paul gave warning of walking in darkness, and, and so we'll, we'll summarize that for you, but we'll come on down through the rest of what Paul is communicating to the Ephesians uh, in this particular passage, and so let's read our text together as we begin. The Bible says there in verse number 7 of Ephesians 5, Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. As we know from Scripture and living in this world, there is a continual tension and warfare between two very powerful forces. One is the power of darkness, and the other is the power of light. And I'm not talking about just physical darkness and physical light. I'm talking about spiritual darkness and spiritual light. They are at odds with each other. They are at war with each other. And Paul makes this distinction so plain within this passage. Now, the overall context of all of this little section here really is verse 3 down through verse number 14. And verse 3 through 6, we looked at the warning of against walking in darkness because Christians ought not to walk in darkness. That's his, that's his uh, warning and commission to them. He gave them great warning. He, he mentioned the specific works of darkness that were very prominent in Ephesus, sexual immorality and impurity and covetousness, which is idolatry, Foolish talk and crude joking and filthiness, all these things were prominent in Ephesus. But as we noted last week, they're very prominent today, aren't they? And so we have to be on guard against these works of darkness. He revealed the danger of walking in such darkness. That these works are the works of people who have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. These works are the works of people who are heading directly towards God's wrath. It's a sobering warning. But this passage continues from the negative side of warning about it to the positive side of how we ought to walk. So don't walk in this way, but now Paul says, walk in this way. He makes it unmistakably clear which side the believer is on. Believers, you are not on the side of darkness. If you are in Christ, you are not on the side of darkness. Instead, you are on the side of light. And though these Ephesian believers and our, ourselves live in a world and culture of darkness, we are light. And we are to be light to the world around us, exposing darkness for what it is. Because here's the reality light always wins over darkness. Darkness doesn't win over light. When it gets dark outside, sometimes our kids, they like to turn off all the lights in the house. And they do this for a reason, because they love to play with flashlights. Anybody had, ever remember playing flashlight tag or, you know, it's just a fun thing to do. Turn all the lights on and off in the house. Sometimes I'll be in my office area, which is disconnected from the rest of the house, and I go in there and it's pitch black, and I'm like, what is going on here? Well... You see a little corner over here, they got a flashlight, and they're over here with a flashlight, and they're running through the house with flashlights. And so they like to use those lights to shine into the darkness, to see what's in the dark rooms, and, and just play in that manner. And when they shine light in the darkness, darkness flees. 
Darkness always flees at the presence of light. Never hangs around. And here's really the picture for our Christian life and the church at large is that we are to be light in this dark world. To shine the light of Christ that overcomes darkness. Now Paul's instructions for the Ephesians in their day is, it is timeless instruction. This is the word of God for you, Christian. For us as a church in 2023 because there is darkness all around us. I have two headings here this morning in our notes, and you can follow along with the handout there. But I want you to notice, number one, the believers escape from darkness. The believers escape from darkness because you're not darkness anymore. In fact, rather, what we find here in this, this sub-point letter A is that believers have become light in the Lord. Believers have become light in the Lord. Now, notice in our text that, that Paul, after telling the Ephesians the dangers of walking in darkness in verse 7... He says, therefore, do not become partners with them. Speaking of the workers of darkness, do not become partners with them. Well, what's he mean by that? Well, he's not saying that you avoid all the godless, unregenerate people around us entirely, but to abstain from them in their works of darkness and in their sins. Now, it's pretty much near impossible just to abstain from darkness in general, right? We live in a dark world. We're not to isolate ourselves from society and from others, and uh, that, 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 that takes away the whole point of being a gospel witness, doesn't it? Believers are not to be, what it, what, rather what Paul says is, he, the believers are not to be identified with the sins as those that have no inheritance in Christ's kingdom. Don't be identified with the sins of those who have the wrath of God resting upon them. This is why Paul says to them regarding those sins that they must not even be named among you as is proper among saints in verse 3. Now, later in verse 11, Paul gives a similar command. We'll look at this principle more closely. But focusing on this point, why are believers not to be partners with the people of darkness, partakers of their same lifestyle? The reason is because Christians are not like the rest of the world. Really, you can boil down all of humanity in just the two categories of people. doesn't have to do with race or ethnicity or any other thing. There are people of darkness and people of light. There are unbelievers and there are believers. There are Christians and there are non-Christians. There are saved and there are unsaved. Now, what does Paul say about the Christian here? Look at verse 8. I love what he says here. He says, For you at one time were... Darkness. So, so you see why I say this is that the believer's escape or deliverance from darkness. You as a believer at one time were darkness. This shows us something. That everyone in this world starts off in the same category. Every human being is in the same boat. A sinking boat at that. A sinking boat that is drowning in darkness and depravity. Even the Christian was in the boat, that boat, at one time. And Christian, you understand this, that, that we as Christians, it does not mean that we are superior to others who are in darkness. The only difference in your life is the grace of God, which you're unworthy of to begin with. Grace is what's made the difference, not you. But notice that Paul points out here that the Christian, before his or her conversion, was not just walking in darkness, although that is true. What's he say about them? He says, you were darkness. You weren't just walking in darkness. You were darkness. You see, darkness is who you were, and the life that you lived in darkness flowed from the nature of who you were. You were darkened in your depravity. As Paul mentioned in chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, but God delivered you from that. You were darkened by deception that the devil has, has instituted over humanity. But God has delivered you from that. Here's a great parallel passage, I think, that fits what Paul is talking about here. 2 Corinthians 4, go with me there if you would. 2 Corinthians 4, just to see a little bit here of this darkness and blindness that, that Paul mentions. Now, he starts out in verse 1 and, and, and 2 speaking about how he doesn't seek to use the word of God in a, uh, in a uh, mischievous way. He doesn't seek to tamper it. He doesn't seek to uh, try to make it more uh, uh, fitting for the crowd. He just lets the gospel be the gospel. He just lets the word of God be the word of God. Why? Because only the pure, unaltered word of God is what really changes people. 
But so he doesn't, he doesn't seek to change that. He doesn't seek to, to use the Word of God in a manipulative way or to tamper with it. But rather, he notice he says that he, he commends himself to the, every person's conscience in the sight of God with the gospel. But look at verse 3. He says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, little g God, who might that be? Satan, the devil. He has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So you notice in this text, there is a blindness over humanity, both by their own depravity, their nature, but also by the devil. By the devil. But come on down to this text. Look at verse 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. That's the message. Jesus Christ is Lord. It's not about the minister, not about the preacher. It's not about any person other than Jesus. With ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. But I love verse 6. Notice that he says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You understand, though darkness veils man... The light of God never fails to whom it's supposed to reach. Never fails. Now, you understand, I love the parallel here. Because Paul speaks of it in the realm of creation. In the very beginning, what do we find in Genesis 1? Darkness, right? God spoke, and what came forth? Light, right? And in the same way, the darkened heart of unregenerate, godless sinners, by the gospel of Christ, God speaks into their heart and gives them light, lightens them, brings them out of their darkness, out of their depravity, out of this blindness. What a parallel that is. What a parallel that is to Genesis 1. But that takes us back to verse 8 here of our text, all right? Come back to Ephesians. You'll notice that Paul says... You were darkness. This is what you were, all right? This was your nature. But notice in verse 8 what he says next. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are what? Light in the Lord. Now you are light in the Lord. You understand that this is a supernatural transformation. You were darkness. Now you are light. You understand, you don't just have light or are now in the light, although those are true, but this is also true of the nature. You are light. Think about that. Now, now how does a transformation like that actually take place? Well, what's Paul say here? You are light in who? In the Lord. Because everything about who we are as Christians is always in Christ. In Christ, you're justified. In Christ, you're redeemed. In Christ, you are made righteous. In Christ is, is, is the foundation to all that you are in, as a Christian. You see, there is no transformation like this outside of the Lord or by anyone other than the Lord. Your conversion from darkness to light is of the Lord alone. You don't contribute to that. What can darkness contribute to making darkness light? Nothing. Nothing. It's just like Ephesians 2 teaches us. We're saved by grace through faith, that not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Salvation is holy of Christ. You contribute nothing to it. 1 Timothy 2.9 says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Do you see this? That this, this is God's divine prerogative in which he calls people out of darkness unto himself into the light, making them his light. Paul put it this way to the Colossians. Colossians 1, 13, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and has transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of, his sin, of sins. You understand that Christ's kingdom is a kingdom of light. There will be no dark bearers in that kingdom. He has made His people light 
the Christian has become light in Christ's kingdom and, and darkness is no longer their nature or their identity. This goes beyond what my mind can really fathom. Now understand the difference between those in darkness and those in light is one factor, it is the Lord. And why is it only in the Lord that someone can come be, become light? Here's why. Because only God is light. Think of this. Where, where else are you going to find spiritual light outside of Christ? There isn't any. He alone is true, righteous, and good, and holy. He is everything that darkness is not. Jesus said this about himself. John 8, this got him in a lot of trouble, right, in his day. John 8, 12, he says, I am what? The light of the world. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have what? The light of life. You see, only the one who is light can make people into light too. You're saying, if God were not light, all of creation existence would be eternally entrenched in darkness. There would be no hope. But God is light. He's the perfect light. He's the eternal light. And because He is light and has made His people into the light, uh, into light from their darkened state, you understand that the Christian, the Christian, because they're made light and been brought to the light, can now see clearly in a very darkened world. Christian, you today see the truth about who the real God is. Who is the one true God? He's the God of the Bible. You, Christian, having been brought to the light, you understand the truth about creation. You understand the truth about human nature. You understand the truth about who Christ is. You understand the truth about sin and righteousness and our purpose in this world and our future. You understand the world around us is entrenched in darkness in which they're looking for answers here and there, and they don't find it anywhere. Why? Because it's all found in Christ alone who is the light. And Christian, you who know Christ, see the truth what this world really is all about, what your life is about. Reminds me of when Jesus healed a blind man. The man was questioned by those spiritually blind religious leaders, and they're really trying to find some kind of, some kind of something they can bring against Jesus. Now, this blind man didn't really know who Jesus was, but he knew one thing for sure. They're asking him if he's a sinner and all this, and the blind man says, well, whether he's a sinner, I don't know, but here's one thing I do know. I was blind, but now I see. I don't know much about who this guy is, but I know that I couldn't see before, but now I can see everything. Now, that was physical sight, but Jesus meets him just a few moments later and gives him spiritual sight. He goes up to that same man he healed, and the man didn't even recognize Jesus because he'd never seen him before. And Jesus asked him, do you believe on the Son of God? And he says, well, who is he? blind man says, Lord, I believe. He bowed at his feet and worshipped him. He got not only physical sight, but spiritual sight from Jesus. Friend, how true is our beloved hymn we sing? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. What's that next phrase go? I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but what? Now I see. Grace has done this for us. And not only have believers been made light, they've become light in the Lord. Letter B this morning, I want you to understand that believers must live in the light of the Lord. We must live in the light of the Lord. You see, since we're no longer darkness, are now light, that, changes, that change not only affects who we are, but affects how we live. This is the whole point that Paul is bringing out. Don't walk in the works of darkness that he just mentioned. What's he say in verse 8, the last phrase? Walk as children of light. That's the lifestyle. That's your behavior, your conduct, how you live your life. Walk as children of light. You see, the behavior of the individual believer is to be shining brightly for Christ rather than blending in with the darkness around them. You understand that there's really not supposed to be any such thing as a camouflage Christian. You know what camouflage is, right? You go hunting and you put on the camouflage. You're, you're trying to blend in with the environment so a deer doesn't spot you or whatever you're hunting doesn't spot you. You're trying to blend in. Christian, you're not meant to blend in. You're not meant to be camouflaged. You're not meant to blend in with, with the world around you. 
You see, as a child of light, we are to walk in the very light of God with our life. Now, now here's, here's a great reference, and I put it in your notes for you. 1 John 1, this is a great passage on this. 1 John 1, 5 through 7. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light. God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. None. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Understand, continuing to walk in darkness while professing to be a child of light is a contradiction of terms. John says we are liars. If we profess to be children of light, but we are walking in darkness. Now understand, this does not mean that the child of light is perfect or sinless in their life. But it does mean that their lifestyle, the way they live, no longer is a continued life of sin in the works of darkness that Scripture brings out. You see, the child of light will no doubt sin in various ways because he still inhabits a flesh that has fallen. It, it's, it's the... One we got from Adam, right? Well, we look forward to that glorification day. This body's going to go bye-bye. I'm going to get a new body. The Bible says we'll be like Jesus, glorified with a new body, not tainted or fallen in sin ever again. But right now we contend with this, right? This fallen flesh. But did you know God's made provision for that? He goes on in that same passage, 1 John 1, 8 and 9. He says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from some unrighteousness. You're not listening, are you? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, the child of light does not seek to hide his sin or live in habitual sin, but rather when he or she recognizes his sin, he confesses his sin to God who forgives him of that sin based on the atoning work of Christ. God is obligated legally to forgive you and cleanse you based on the blood of his Son. I don't know about you, but I've claimed that verse more times than I could count it. I'm sure that you have too. But understand this. The child of light cannot continue comfortably in a life of habitual sin. If you continue comfortably in sin, you deceive yourself of your own Christianity. How the Christian lives matters. The Christian is the light in Christ. Just as Peter said moments ago, we've been called out to show, manifest, proclaim the excellencies of him who called us. But consider also what Jesus says in his great sermon on the mount. Go with me to Matthew 5, if you would. Matthew 5, verse 14 through 16. Matthew 5, verse 14 through 16. If you look at this passage, he's speaking to his disciples, but there's also a great crowd that came to join him. But notice what he says in verse 14. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You notice there's a couple illustrations he gives for us and them. He says, you're the light of the world, and he gives this illustration of a city that's set on a hill. When I was in, in, in Israel, in the Galilee region, you, you, go through, you go across the Sea of Galilee, you get to see different towns across around that region, and uh, the Sermon on that was preached near that vicinity. But it's very interesting is at nighttime, you can see across the Sea of Galilee to these little towns that are on top of these hillsides. And at night, guess what you see there? You see lights shining because that's where people are. They've got light on. Now, in this day and time of Jesus, it wouldn't have been near as bright. I mean, they've got candles. They don't have electricity and all that. But, but being in present day, being around the Sea of Galilee, looking across the sea at this little town up on a hillside with light shining, it's unmistakable there's light there. There's people there. And that's the illustration. 
That, that, that's what brings out of this text is that Christ's people are like this city on a hill that shines out. It's unmistakable. But they're also like this lamp that's put on a stand. What's the point of it being put up on a stand? So that it lights the whole house. See, the call upon Christ's disciples to let your light shine before others has a great purpose to it. And what's the purpose that Jesus gives us here? What's he say? He says, let your light shine before others for what purpose? So that they, uh, the others, those in the dark world, may see your good works and do what? Glorify your Father in heaven. You understand that this is why you were called out of darkness into the light. It is for the glory of God. The sooner we recognize that all of creation, all of redemption, all of who we are, all of history is to the glory of God, the better off we'll be. Because we have a tendency to make everything about us. My Christian life isn't about me, it's about Christ. Your Christian life isn't about you, it includes you, but it's chiefly about Christ. It's about His glory. And so we walk as children of light to bring glory to the true light because God deserves to be glorified by His creation. And He has chosen to use His people as a means of bringing that about. We see plainly we're to walk in the light. But notice how we walk in the light. Notice Paul puts this parenthesis here in our text. He says, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. You see, fruit is the outflow of a particular source, isn't it? You get apples from what kind of tree? An apple tree. You get oranges from what kind of tree? You get pizza from where? Just just, just making sure you know where pizza comes from. I had a cousin that convinced me when I was young that pizza grew on a plant, and I went looking for that plant. Never found it. As children of light, you understand, we bear the nature of the true light who is Christ. Notice Paul's descriptions. He says, good, right, and true. Guess who's good, right, and true? Christ. The whole of the triune God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Spirit. They are good, right, and true. Now, some, some translations may render this as fruit of the Spirit, all right? Because so, there's some manuscripts that have light here, some have spirit here. The context, I believe, shows us more to the light. But understand that all light that comes from our lives is the outworking of the Spirit in us. So, The principle doesn't change. It's the same truth. The truth remains the same. But what are these fruits? He says, what is good? Well, 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 good here is what is goodness. uh, It's it's a term that that conveys the idea of highest expression and being willingly and sacrificially doing for others. Now, there's a lot of words that are used to translate for good and goodness. But this one has the highest of order. Moral excellence, being good both in nature and effectiveness. Much like agape is the the Greek term, you've heard that. It's a really deep, heavy word for love. This word used here is a very deep, heavy word for goodness. 1 Thessalonians 5.15, See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another. Good, and to everyone. So goodness is a fruit of light. Notice he says also what is right. This, this is righteousness. It's living out what is right according to God's righteousness. And here's the reality, friend. We have been made righteous by the substitution of Christ. And that righteousness that we've been given is meant to flow outward into the life we live, doing what is right according to God. 1 John 2.29 If you know that he is righteous, you may sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. You see that? Practicing righteousness is an evidence you've been born again. It's a fruit of it. What is true? And we live in a world that is full of deception and falsehood, don't we? Nowadays, you just don't know what to believe when it comes to certain things. The believer is to be a source and beacon of truth. What is right? They're also to be honest and trustworthy and have integrity. See, these three fruits are manifestations of walking in the light as the children of light. But how can we be assured of what is good, right, and true? The answer is so simple. It's all interconnected. We as children of light walk in the light when we follow the light of God's Word. See, Christ is light. We are to be light. He's made us light. But then there's also a light that helps us in walking in light. 
God's given us everything we need, Christian. The psalmist says in Psalm 119, 105, your word is what? A lamp to my feet and a what? A light to my path. You want to know how to walk in the light? Get in your Bible and read it and live it. But this is why the Word of God is so vital to the Christian life. Christian, if you neglect the Scriptures in your life, you're not going to walk in the light as you should be doing. And I think that's one of the detriments of today. We're too busy for the Word of God. Don't think that because you come to church that you've got all the Word of God you need for the week. How many times do you eat in a week? How many times do you eat in a day? Two, maybe three? Maybe four if you're really hungry. You understand, you need the Word of God. It's your spiritual strength. How are you going to discern what's right? Notice what Paul says in verse 10. Verse 10, look at this. He says, and try to discern what's pleasing to the Lord. How are you going to discern what's pleasing to the Lord? How how do we know what God approves of, what is right and good and, and light? How are you going to know this? The answer is the Scriptures. Christian, your Bible is the authority for testing everything. Everything is your authority. And it should be our conviction to always seek to please God in all things. So you see that Christ here, He is to be Lord of our conscience. Are you walking in the light as you should be? Think about your life. Are you walking in the light as you should be? That brings me to number two. Number two. These points have been a little longer because they usually have three, so it's going to even out. Don't think you're getting out early. There's not three points. I've got to make the two points a little longer. I want you to see the believers exposing the darkness. We are to expose darkness. We've escaped it, praise God. We're no longer darkness, we're light. We're no longer to live in darkness, we're to live in the light. But notice that the believer is to expose darkness. Letter A, darkness must have light shined upon it. Darkness must have light shined upon it. Now, here's what he brings out exactly what, what happens when the church does what they're supposed to do, when they walk in the light. He firstly restates, really, the command he gave back in verse number 7, when he said, don't become partners with them, the workers of darkness. But now in verse 11, notice what he says. He said, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Now, to take no part means you're not doing what the workers of darkness do. You're not living as they live, doing the sinful things they do, especially in this realm of sexual immorality, which he has emphasized heavily. I think I emphasized it pretty heavily last week. At least I hope I did. But notice what Paul says about these sins. He says they're unfruitful works of darkness. What's it mean when something is unfruitful? When something's unfruitful, it means it doesn't produce anything. It's barren. If you go to an apple tree and there's no apples on it, it's fruitless. It's barren, dead. Instead of having any worth, these works actually bring something else. They bring the wrath of God. Paul says to the Romans, and he's urging them to live in a holy manner, and this is a great question for all of us. Look at this, Romans 6.21. He says, what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you're now ashamed? What was the fruit of those things that you're ashamed that you ever took part in? He says the end of those things is death. That's the fruit of these works of darkness. That's the fruit of these sinful things. And given the unfruitful nature of such works of darkness, the believer should guard themselves against doing them, but also understand, Christian, you need to guard yourself against what would influence you towards them. Because here is where the rubber meets the road. You may say, oh, I'll never do that. There might be something that triggers you into doing that. Something that leads you into that form of sin. If the believer is not diligent to walk in the light, they will give their flesh opportunity, give in to temptations that sometimes may be hard to resist. Paul tells the Thessalonians, abstain from every form of evil. 1 Thessalonians 5.22. Abstain from every form of evil. Well, how can we abstain from every form of evil if we're surrounded by evil, right? I mean, we live in an evil world. Now, this does not mean that Christians should isolate themselves from the rest of the world, but that they should be mindful of what might influence them into the works of darkness. You need to be mindful of who you associate with, who you hang out with, situations you might put yourself in that might create opportunity 
for you to give in to such sins. Sins that would be a reproach to Christ and his church. Now, Paul put it this way to the Corinthians. Now, listen to this. 1 Corinthians 5, 9, he said, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. You mean, if there's, if there's people who are out there doing all that sort of thing, I shouldn't be hanging out with them? Yes, you shouldn't be hanging out with them. You mean, if there's so-and-so out there and they're out getting drunk and that's all they do, I shouldn't be hanging out with them? Yes, you shouldn't be hanging out with them. There's, there, understand that by association, you can bring reproach upon Christ and His church. Now understand the text overall in Corinthians, it deals with immorality in the church. Paul is talking to them about people in the church, believers who are being sexually immoral. He says don't associate with them, but rather discipline them if they refuse to repent of that wickedness. Now if we're not to associate with sexually immoral people inside the church, how much more should we not associate with them outside of the church? You know, in high school, I always knew what was right. I was raised in a good Christian home. I knew what was right and wrong. I knew the crowd in, 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 uh, in school that partied, and they liked to go on the weekends, get drunk, they had sex with whoever they felt like it, did whatever they wanted to. As a Christian, I knew that it would be both wrong and dangerous to hang out among that kind of a crowd, even if I wasn't doing what they were doing. I had a basketball teammate that insisted one day after practice that, man, you need to, you're too good. You need to come out with us this weekend and get drunk. Well, that sounds like a great invitation. Thanks. We need to get you drunk. That's what he said. I said, no, thank you. That's, I'm not going to do that kind of thing. He kept insisting, insisting, insisting. But my conviction internally would not let me say yes, no, I can't do that. Sad to say, that same boy is dead now. Works of darkness, understand this, they lead to death. Sometimes an early grave, but ultimately to eternal death in hell. There's a reason Paul says take no part. This isn't being legalistic or, or, or old-fashioned. This is just being biblical, friend. This is biblical Christianity. And what we need is a revival of biblical Christianity. Revival's on everybody's minds. You want to see revival? It's right here. Walk in the light. That is a revived life when you're living as a Christian ought to live. Now, we ought to note the difference here. There is a difference between isolation and separation. I'm not saying go join some clan and just be distant from all society. That's not what I'm saying. If people want to do that, all power to them. What I'm saying is that we are to be separate from the workers of darkness while not being isolated from them. Well, why is that? We cannot witness to the world if we're not among them in some capacity. The point of being among the dark world is to shine the light on their darkness. Now, this brings us to what Paul's saying here. Notice what he says. With regard to the works of darkness, he says, instead, instead of taking part in them, instead, what's he say? Expose them. You understand, that's the duty of God's people in this world, to expose the work of so darkness, what does it mean to expose something? This, this word also is translated as reprove. It means to scrutinize or examine carefully. It could be rendered as to bring to light, to set forth. I think Calvin puts it well when he says the word which translated reprove answers to the metaphor of darkness, for it literally signifies to drag forth to the light which was formerly unknown. And herein is a verse that is greatly needed among the church today for believers and the church. We must expose darkness for what it is and what it does. Now, we expose it by not giving in to it, not practicing it, but understand your, your lifestyle, not practicing it, yes, that's a great testimony, but what's the reason you don't practice it? The world needs to know the reason, and the way they know the reason is when you tell them. You speak. You speak. It's not enough just to abstain. We must speak against the darkness both among our fellow Christians who are in the church but also to the world around us. And here's what Paul said to Timothy regarding sin in the church. He says, as for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that they may 
so that the rest may stand in fear. Now, understand that's pretty much at the final stage of church discipline after having gone to them privately, giving them a rebuke, exposing their darkness. And then again, and then eventually it comes to the church. Their works are exposed. But then you have the culture around us that also needs to have its darkness exposed. Paul's an example of this when he's in Athens. I love this passage. You know, Paul's waiting in Athens in Acts 17, 16. It says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. He's looking around at the culture of Athens and sees how godless they are. They're, they're given to idolatry. And Paul's stirred inwardly, but he doesn't just, he's not just stirred inwardly and just sits on a stone and says, well, oh well. He goes to the synagogue and starts to preach the gospel. He starts engaging the people with the one true God. He, 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 does, he takes it to action. And here's the reality is that many Christians are stirred about the evils we see in our culture, but we're too afraid to speak against it. Friend, if the Christian does not stand up and speak up for what's biblically righteous, no one's going to. The rest are in the dark. We shouldn't be silent about the evils of abortion. We shouldn't be silent about the evils of LGBTQA and whatever other letter they want to add. We shouldn't be silent about the drag queen push. We shouldn't be silent about all the injustice. We shouldn't be silent about all the corrosion in our culture. John MacArthur rightly said, to ignore evil is to encourage it, to keep quiet about it is to help promote it. Evil prevails when good people do nothing. Now, Christians are to be the light that are not hidden under the bushel, but shining brightly in every way they can to expose the works of darkness for what they are. Now, I'm not saying go get a megaphone and stand on the street corner and start hollering like a crazy person. Some people do that. Maybe they have some success. A lot of people do that, and they just they don't have any success, and they really do damage, I think. What I'm saying is, Christian, when you are presented opportunity to speak about these sorts of things, you ought to speak. You ought to speak. Only when sin is brought to light will sinners see the need for salvation from that sin in Christ alone. And understand, the more of God's people who let their light shine, the brighter it will be. Years ago as a teenager, we took a youth trip to an underground cave. It was like a mile and a half or two miles long. Never doing that again. But we got down in there. We had to go down in through a rope. All of us had to, you know, climb down in a rope. And we go into this big room, and it's just pitch black dark. Our pastor said, everybody turn off your flashlight. So we all turned off our flashlight. It was so dark, you couldn't even, you could put your hand right here, and you couldn't even see your hand in front of your face. That's how pitch black it was. And by way of illustration, he turned his light on. We began to see him in that immediate area around him. Then he said, all of you turn yours on. All of us turned on our flashlights, and by, by that time, the whole room was lit up. And he gave that by way of illustration, which I'm giving to you, is that when the light is shining by more people, the more light is being brought forth, exposing darkness, because understand, darkness can't overcome light. We all need to be the light of Christ, live in the light, and expose darkness, because people of light, they shine a whole lot brighter together. You notice verse 4, he says, or excuse me, verse 12, Paul says, for it's, a shame, it's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. That's the reason for exposing these works and reproving them. Not only are they dark in nature, they're often committed in the dark, in secret. They're wicked and evil. And great shame to even speak about, especially some of the sexual immoral sins, it wouldn't even be fit to flow from our lips to describe what happens. They must be exposed for what they are, not swept under the rug of tolerance. Letter B and lastly, say amen. Last one. Here's a great thing we can understand is that the light of Christ delivers from darkness. The light of Christ delivers from darkness. Now here, understand, the goal of exposing the works of darkness is not about stirring up the evil crowd or putting ourselves on a high horse of holiness. I think some people want to call evil just to meddle and not really have any true intention. The true goal of exposing darkness is about reaching them with the light of Christ. If your purpose is outside of that, you're doing it for the wrong reason. 
is to rescue them from the domain of darkness because they're perishing. They're headed for hell eternally and Christ is the only light that will save them. They need the light. And you and I have that. We have the light to give them. That's why Paul says, verse 13, when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. That's just a plain truth. But connected to this is one sentence. Verse 14, for anything that becomes visible is light. Now, what's Paul mean there? When when light shines in the darkness, what's it do? It reveals sin for what it really is. It becomes visible because it's exposed. But Paul's not only saying that it is exposed, what does he say with that darkness? He says it becomes visible, it is light. It is light. Now, what else did Paul say is light in this passage? He said the believer is light. You understand that Paul's pointing out the supernatural power of the light of Christ shining through his people to make those who are in darkness light themselves. He goes on to say in this verse, Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Paul is quoting a portion from the Old Testament Scripture, and theologians have wrestled about which exact one, because it seems to be a combination. Sometimes Paul does that. He combines some Scriptures into one verse, but many lean towards Isaiah 60 and verse 1, where he says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. This text would declare the Christ is risen in His glory and His light will shine on those who are sleeping dead in their sins. Jesus said this in John 5, 25, Truly, truly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. You understand that only the light of Christ can actually raise the dead. Only the light of Christ can bring salvation to them. And since this is true, that Christ's light saves sinners from dead darkness, why do not all sinners arise with life when their darkness is exposed? Allow me to read one final passage in John 3. John 3. Everybody loves John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. Whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. Often that's the only verse that's quoted, but you need to understand all of what Jesus is saying in this passage. He says before it, you need to be born again. Born again is how we believe. But notice also, verse 19 through 21 for a moment. Jesus says in the same passage, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. What does that reveal to you? It reveals to you the natural response of man. Man does not see the light of Christ like, oh, yay, come. He runs from it. He hates it. He hates it. Why? It exposes his evil. He hates this light. But understand that Christ's light never fails in its power to save sinners. He is sovereign over His saving light. And this is our confidence, Christian, that you and I as light of Christ can understand that He will accomplish victory in saving sinners with that light, no matter how deep in darkness they may have been enslaved. You may see someone who is just absolutely entrenched in darkness, and you may think, man, there's probably no hope for that person. I could never see that person being saved. Christ can. There's no one so bad that they can't be saved, and there's no one so good that they need not be saved. The whole point of this is that we are meant to shine the light as Jesus gave the commission to Paul the Gentiles. This is what it's about, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by the faith. Here's the reality. We want the abortionists to come to Christ. We want the homosexual to come to Christ. We want the liar to come to Christ. The thief to come to Christ. Our heart must be that all the workers of darkness come to know Christ by the new birth because that's what the gospel is all about. 
So Christian, you're not to fear the darkness. You're not to cower towards the darkness. You're not to sit back while darkness pushes forward. Christian and church, we are to push back the darkness because we have the all-powerful light of Christ. And we do that both in the gospel we preach and in the life that we live. Are we walking in the light today? Are we walking in the light? I want you to think about this for you in an individual sense. Because all of Scripture really comes down to your own individual heart. What's the state of your Christian life? Are you walking in light or have you been walking in darkness? Blending in. Camouflage. You're not supposed to do that. Live in the light. Expose the darkness. Make that your conviction. But today I also urge you who do not know Christ. If you do not know Christ today, your deeds have been exposed by the word of God even in this hour. Do you see your sin and condemnation? You are hopeless outside of the light of Christ. You must flee to him by faith. So if you've never been saved, I call on you to repent of that sin, your sinfulness, and trust in Christ alone. For he can save the worst of sinners. You're not so bad he can't save you. Trust in him. Trust in him alone. Let's stand today as we close in prayer. Prepare for a closing song. Father, we bow before you this morning and thank you for this text of Scripture. How greatly it is, it is needed in our present day and age, especially in our American culture. It seems to be in a downward spiral of darkness. Is there ever a time that Christians need to shine brightly? It's right now. Lord, it's my prayer that we right here in Lee Creek would shine brightly right here in Van Buren, Arkansas. May it never be said of us that we didn't shine bright. Pray that you'd use us. Use us, Father, to take the gospel to the lost in our community. They come to know you and be faithful disciples of you. Be part of your kingdom of light. If there's someone here today, Father, that is lost, Lord, I pray that you'd convict them of their sinfulness. Make it clear, unmistakably clear, that they are condemned and headed for eternal judgment if they do not repent and believe on Christ alone. Save them, I pray, in Jesus' name.